9, beginning at verse 35 and concluding at verse 38, which is the end of the chapter. I'm sure you've made the observation by way of decoration in people's homes as well as the church. Pumpkins out. <laughs> Trees and lights are in. It never ceases to amaze me how God, in just the regular routine dealing of his word week after week, decides to work with our calendar. Here we are this morning in Matthew 9, beginning at verse 35, by way of review, and then 36 is new, concluding with verse 38, which, of course, deals with harvest. And we sang of harvest this morning, and we think of harvest this time of year. In this area, the primary harvest is corn and beans. Biblically speaking, the harvest of God is wrath and grace. Corn and beans, they would be primary in this area. Wrath and grace, primary on the calendar of God. That little tidbit will be helpful to you in today's study. Matthew 9, 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, this morning, we recognize that the Word of God speaks directly to the season of the year, and we do believe that by the Spirit of God's intention to the season of our own hearts and souls. They are by no means the same. Our need is similar in that we need Thee. But what it is that constitutes the need of this moment is greatly varied. And we pray that the need of the soul would be met this Lord's Day morning as we attend to thy holy word, especially as we attend to the testimony of the Lord Jesus in the first advent. It is clear that he was stirred in heart and we pray that today you would open our eyes to the word of God before us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. A little bit over a week ago, my 12-year-old grandson in Florida complained to his mother of a stomach ache. Austin's pain and nausea increased until a trip to the hospital revealed that he had appendicitis. 
belly button surgery later, and the kid is on the go. Most everyone has had stomach pains or cramps of one kind or another and can easily relate to the Greek word then that our text translates by a phrase, moved with compassion. Think cramps. Moved with compassion. Today we work with the non-physical pain within the soul of the Lord Jesus at the sight of the Jewish multitudes. We spent some considerable time last week detailing the threefold earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus from verse 35, as frankly we did, although I don't expect you to remember this, back at chapter 4 and verse 23. Jesus taught on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday the Old Testament scriptures to gathered people in one of the 200 walled cities and villages in Galilee. In addition to teaching, he preached. He proclaimed that the promised kingdom was at hand for the Jewish nation and that the opportunity to receive it required of them repentance. Thirdly, healing. He validated his teaching and preaching with various miracles. So when you think about, when I think about First Advent, Ministry of Christ, we ought to think about teaching, preaching, healing, and then, of course, the work at the cross. Matthew concludes the selected list of validating miracles with this expression of the Lord's compassion. And that expression is quite familiar to us. The Lord's heart aches when he views the crowds of Jewish people before him. The word translated compassion literally refers to intestinal pain. Figuratively, this gut ache in Jesus conveys emotional trauma, and it stands for a deep and moving pity, both negatively and positively, or if you will, concerning wrath and concerning grace. Now, the first thing that I would offer in expanse of our understanding is that this is uh, 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 the first of four times in Matthew's gospel account in which he will tell us of this deep emotional experience of the Lord Jesus. Four times in Matthew's gospel, we are told that he was moved with compassion or he had, as it were, spiritual cramps. Furthermore, he did not, in uh, the repeated use of this uh, 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 story, the repeated use of these words, uh, he does not always, Matthew does not always, make the same point when speaking of the Lord's compassion. 
Sometimes he talks of the Lord's spiritual cramps and the aftermath is a negative truth. Sometimes he speaks of the Lord's cramps, spiritually speaking, and, and the truth that follows is a positive truth. Early on, within the first year of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus, as recorded in John chapter 4, he spoke of a whitened harvest after talking to the woman at the well and then late in the third and final year of the Lord's public ministry, he spoke of a whitened harvest when sending forth 70 disciples in ministry activity as recorded in Luke chapter 10. Matthew's record of whitened harvest falls between John 4 and Luke 10, taking place during the second year of the Lord's earthly ministry. My point is that Jesus often felt compassion and that Jesus often spoke of whitened fields and the necessity of harvest. And while the feelings and the statements are the same, they do not make the same biblical point from one to the other. In other words, you cannot preach John 4 the way that I'm going to preach Matthew 9 today. And you cannot preach Matthew 9 the way that I would preach and did preach Luke chapter 10 to you some years ago. Now, I want to follow in this particular text uh, the reasons for the Lord's deep heartache as recorded here by his servant, uh, Matthew. We begin with the simple fact that Jesus' heart ached because of the personal sin and unbelief that had wearied to the point of spiritual exhaustion the chosen people of God. Verse 36 tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion, that he had spiritual cramps because, see the word because, they fainted. The word fainted or weary, means worn out, battered, bruised, skinned. Jesus viewed the Jewish people as exhausted, worn out. And worn out by what? Sin. Many of our ladies have had the occasion to be in the nursery when some baby does very little for the entire hour but cry and cry and cry, and cry, and cry, and cry, and cry, until finally that little snotty-nosed beggar is all cried out and just before his mother comes to feed him, goes to sleep. Well, Jesus looked upon a crowd who sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned, and all too soon would go to sleep. 
and that forever. And so Jesus was moved with compassion because of the exhaustion, the self-induced exhaustion among the multitudes of people so persistent, as it were, in their patterns of sin. The peoples were slaves to sin. And even if they hated the way that they lived, they found no power to stop their sin. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, just flat out wore them to exhaustion. Now, the prophet Jeremiah spoke interestingly of the very same kind of thing in his day, saying of the people, quote, they weary themselves to commit iniquities. They exhaust themselves in the commission of sin. Jesus' heart ached because as he saw the crowd gathered, he saw them as they actually were in sin and devoted to its practice. Secondly, Jesus' heart ached because the poor leadership of the chosen people had scattered them. Verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because, one, they fainted, they were exhausted by their own sin, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The word scattered is not a self-induced condition. The word scattered is not a self-induced condition. The word literally means to be thrown to the ground uh, like the takedown of an Olympic wrestler. The downcast of the chosen people was caused by poor and ungodly leadership in Israel. This is indicated by the metaphor sheep and shepherd. The men charged with feeding and caring for God's people had in fact fleeced the flock for their own personal gain and honor. Now, a number of you know that the prophets often spoke of that, and in particular, Ezekiel spoke of that. And I'd like to have you see that with me this morning. If you would turn, please, uh, back to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel and uh, chapter 34. I want to read for you a few verses and uh, make very little comment. You'll understand what's being said right out of the chute. I just remind you that this is the word of the Lord that came through his prophet Ezekiel, and it is God's complaint against the pastors, or if you will, God's complaint against the earthly shepherds, the leadership in Israel. And God complains concerning them, Ezekiel 34. One, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. 
Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat. Ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The primary responsibility of a shepherd is to feed the flock. You know there are many spiritual ramifications to that. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken. Neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. Neither have ye sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty, ye or have ye ruled them. And they were scattered. Because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherd shirts for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. Wow! What an indictment upon the ancient leadership in Israel. You know that the Lord Jesus often accused the religious leaders in the first century with their insincerity and their open hypocrisy, as well as you know. His heart ached because he viewed the people as having poor spiritual leadership. He viewed the shepherds of Israel as being self-serving shepherds. They were in it for what they could get out of it, not for what they could give to the people of God. Number three. Jesus' heart ached because the plan of God called for judgment following the kingdom opportunity of repentance. This is where our generic approach to the scripture 
as modern evangelicals truly harms us. Because we fail to recognize that when these things were spoken, there was indeed an original audience, and we are not it. The metaphor changes to crop farming. And I'm back now, I need to turn back, but we're back now to Matthew and chapter 9. Uh, the metaphor changes to crop farming. After Jesus saying that the religious leaders had scattered the people abroad as sheep having no shepherd, then saith he unto his disciples. Now notice, first of all, that this part of the message is directed towards those that are following the Lord. And the Lord said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The metaphor changes to crop farming. The question that I ask will seem strange because it challenges the familiar understanding of whitened fields unto harvest. The question is, what is meant by our Lord in the phrase, white unto harvest? The common thought is that Jewish people were ripe and ready for the Lord's work among them. Only more workers were needed to haul it in. In fact, the Jewish people were anything but ripe and ready for the kingdom of the Lord. And most of you know that they will soon hereafter officially reject the kingdom of the Lord in about one year from this preaching point. How often have we heard the application of this text that the world is just ripe and ready for the truth of Christ and that all that is needed is more workers. Won't you please, 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 please be a volunteer for Jesus? Because the only thing lacking is more volunteers. When the Bible is quite clear, the Lord doesn't want volunteers. He wants harvesters. This idea that is common that the world is just ripe and ready for the truth of Christ and that all that is needed is more workers. It is a bad application that is based upon a weak interpretation of this text in Matthew. You might be able to better say that thing from the familiar expression of John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, the testimony of the Samaritan woman had been taken from Jesus back to the city center. 
And after the woman raised the testimony of Christ as a Messiah in the city center, then members of the city center in their white and robes began to come out to the Lord Jesus by the well. And once again in John 4, Jesus said to his disciples, Look up and see the whitened fields on the harvest as the Samaritans are coming out to hear of Christ, the Messiah. But I tell you, we cannot use that point of this metaphor in this text, and neither should we want to in our day. Because I have to tell you, people are not knocking down my door to talk to me. People are not knocking down your door to talk to you about God. Uh, for you or I or any missionary to come stomping through here, and to tell us that the world is just ripe and ready to receive the truth of Christ, and all we need is more people to show up and volunteer to, uh, to work. It's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's absolutely goofy. It's absolutely offensive. And it's not true to the biblical case, and it's not true to the historical case in our day. I reviewed all 51 verses that mentioned harvest in the Scripture. And the majority of agricultural reference relates to the season of the year and God's care, just like we sang about this morning. But when used metaphorically, it is fair to say that the harvest more often references the truth of God's judgment then it represents the truth of God's salvation. So that anybody that was truly a Bible student would take the idea of harvest when used metaphorically and have the first thought of wrath. God's wrath. God's righteous and holy wrath. And then the second thought, God's grace. God's saving and blessed grace. And yet this is a generation that prefers grace before wrath if we deal with wrath at all. And therefore we have no understanding of grace as to its amazing character. The Old Testament prophet Joel uses the harvest as a picture of God's judgment upon the nations, even as the New Testament book of Revelation confirms. In Jeremiah, we can examine the use of this idea of harvest in a way that sheds great light upon the Lord's uh, uh, thought here in Matthew chapter 9. Jeremiah records the perils of false teaching and poor leadership in Israel. Jeremiah says, I look at God's people and they're weary. They're weary because of their sinfulness. I look at God's people and they're scattered. And they're scattered because of poor leadership. Leaders who serve themselves and will not demonstrate their faithfulness before the eyes of the flock. The congregation is weary. The congregation is scattered like sheep having no shepherd. 
That's what Jeremiah said. That's what Jeremiah said. And now that's what Jesus is saying. I tell you, the same God, the same God that prompted the heart and the words of Jeremiah is prompting the heart and the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 here. And if you don't see the link between the two, wow, you've missed something big in Bible study. I wasn't going to take the time to turn, but we're going to. Jeremiah and chapter 8. Jeremiah and chapter 8. Verse 20. Jeremiah laments, saying, the harvest is past. We sang this morning, the harvest is in. The corn was still standing on Friday, across the street from the parsonage, but she's not standing now. I don't know that I can say about corn and beans that it's all in, but pretty much it's all in. And so we were singing the physical reality as well as, I trust, some understanding of the spiritual reality that was connected to it in that hymn we sang. But here, Jeremiah says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and watch, and we are not saved. What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah said, uh, God's harvest came upon his people, and uh, all he found was stalks and very few ears. All we found was plants and very few beans. So then in the whole of the nation, Jeremiah's day, Israel, was not delivered. Israel was not saved. Now watch this. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. Moved with Compassion. Hurt was Jeremiah. Hurt was the Lord Jesus when looking on the whitened fields of sin and scattering. Sinners by choice and scattered by lust. Sinful by self-choice and scattered by leadership lust. Jeremiah was hurt, and he says, I am black. Chase the word black, and the original word has the idea of heavy, dark, despondent, despairing, desolation. I am black, said Jeremiah. Astonishment hath taken hold of me. I am absolutely gripped with the sad, sad case of the people that I'm looking at, said Jeremiah. And you and I need to read some of that into the statement of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Just look at verse 22. Jeremiah said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And then he ends with a phrase that's a little hard to grasp, but he says, let me see if I can give it to you. Why then? Why then? 
is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Why then? Well, it's simple. Why not recovered? Answer, Jeremiah's day. The people continue to choose their sins. And the leaders continue to do their own thing. The people continue to, to, uh, to choose their sins. And the leaders continue to do their own thing. That's Jeremiah's day. Let's get back to Jesus' day. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, weary for sin, and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd because the shepherds were off duty. They weren't doing their job. They weren't doing what God had called them to do. Then saith he unto his disciples, his followers, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In Jeremiah chapter 8, the harvest represented God's opportunity to repent before the appointed time of God's judgment and exile. In Jeremiah 8, the harvest represented God's opportunity to repent before the appointed time of God's judgment by not taking advantage of God's deliverance from judgment as offered by Jeremiah through repentance, the people were rendered unsaved. Jeremiah foreshadows the heart and offer of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Jeremiah's astonishment taking hold of him is the astonishment, is the grip, is the cramp in the heart of Jesus as he looks upon the multitude. It is not wrong to think that the Lord has grace and salvation in mind. But it is absolutely wrong to think that that is not connected to God's sure wrath and judgment upon sin. The Lord of harvest judgment is to be sought for more workers who, like the Lord Jesus, will teach the scriptures and proclaim the opportunity existing at hand. The Lord went teaching in the synagogues and preaching, the text tells us this, repent for the kingdom is at hand. That prayer was answered in the selection and the sending of 12 men, Matthew chapter 10. We'll see that next week. That prayer was further answered about a year later in the selection and sending of the 70. But the sad fact is that the Jewish opportunity in the first advent for the kingdom of God to come would pass 
because he came unto his own and his own received him not. This too we have come to understand was part of a larger thing that God was to accomplish in opening the door of opportunity to the Gentile world through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you think about harvest around here, you got to think about corn and beans, at least. Because those are the two big things that are harvested. But when you and I think about the fields of God, you and I must think about wrath and grace. We must think about God's judgment that is absolutely sure to come as sure as God is God. And salvation by grace, alone through faith, alone we can be delivered from the penalty and the future of our own sin. Wow. That's the kind of worker we need. You don't just need some baboon handing out water to a runner going by. You need the truth of God delivered to people. And the whole truth of God involves wrath incumbent upon us all except by grace. And if we were sent first century uh, uh, Jewish people, we could say, you had a great opportunity in the days of the prophets and you didn't take it and now you have another glorious opportunity. Take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. They didn't. But surely if they should have learned something from the Old Testament, we ought to learn something from the Old Testament and the New Testament gospel as to our opportunity right here, right now, in relationship to what God has called us to do. These are days of opportunity. In light of God's guarantee of wrath, there is an opportunity of personal salvation if a person wants it, and you and I are to make sure they hear about that. I want to make some quick and careful applications of this text to our current opportunity according to the plan of God. Number one, people today are involved in a wearisome cycle of self-induced sin. Why in the world do people have so many troubles? It's very easy. It's very easy. There's a single word, three-letter word, that explains it all. Sin. Either yours or your girlfriends. Either yours or your wives. Either yours or your children's. Either yours or your neighbors. Either yours or your, or your, or your, uh, or your customer. Either yours or, or the person that you work for. But everything in this whole world is indeed influenced by sinful choice. We can easily see in our community what Jesus saw among the Jewish people. We know firsthand the way in which habitual sin plagues and wearies life. Even if you get a person to be absolutely disgusted with their own sinfulness and absolutely disgusted with the exhaustion of sinful choice, 
they will find absolutely no power to ever make a change apart from the power of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we often sing it, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Number two, we have often called your attention to the tragic reality of poor and ungodly leadership offered in these United States of America and abroad. Self-serving pastors and evangelists have become the norm. And of course, people would rather hear that kind of a person. God's people suffer across this land from many so-called men of God. Sharing in the emotions and the experiences of Jeremiah is all too real for the faithful pastor or missionary. Three, people are not generally ripe and ready onto salvation today. We had an extended period in the ministry out in Iowa, a number of weeks, almost more weeks piling up to months and then months almost towards a year, in which every single Lord's Day in that ministry, we heard of somebody else directly connected with our people in that church that had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I have not seen that kind of thing since the 1980s. And anybody that thinks that the residents of Elto are interested in the truth of God haven't actually talked to the neighbors themselves. Uh, people are not generally ripe and ready unto salvation. They aren't ripe and ready unto God's judgment by fire. And like always, you and I ought to follow the Lord's prescription and pray for workers as the days of our opportunity pass by quickly and soon the Lord comes in power and in great glory to judge all men. And while we talk about the Lord's coming as, oh boy, I remind you, for the world, it is indeed, oh no. The world's oh no is at hand. And when you and I look at the multitudes, we ought to see what Jesus saw, and it ought to prompt us to feel something of what Jesus said. I want you this morning to help me then to once again sing the truth of salvation for sinners and for saints. Let's get your hymn book open to 209. 